1: Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vich is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humoured personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too.
0: To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control... Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today.
1: Monkman is a musician, songwriter, and film score composer currently based in Toronto, Ontario. Originally from a small town called Selkirk, Manitoba, which is just outside of Winnipeg, Monkman's a member of the esteemed band Ombegize, but first came to prominence for their solo work under the name Zoon Godiowin, an Ojibwe word that they've shortened to Zoon. With their 2020 debut album Bleached Waves, Zune broke through in a big way, earning a shortlist nomination for Canada's annual Polaris Music Prize. On April 28, 2023, Paperbag Records issued its remarkable follow-up, Beka Mo'Egan, which prompted Daniel to return to this show to discuss things like uh, indigenous teachings about climate change and their work on a film project helmed by the producers of the influential ecological TV series The Nature of Things, the pandemic offered them a respite from touring and a chance to explore different music projects, grieving and mental health, The X-Files as a musical influence, and recent collaborations with Owen Pallett and Sonic Youth's Lee Ronaldo on this new record. The adoption and rejection of the term two-spirit in indigenous culture and Daniel's recent designation as non-binary, their fascinating use of language in lyrics, future plans for Ombegize and Zune, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. This is a donor-driven podcast, so thank you for all your support there at the the Patreon. I I hope you'll consider uh, donating to the show at patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton, in Calgary, Alberta. And very friendly staff at those locations who will happily uh, help you look for whatever it is you're searching for at the stores. Or uh, if you're not anywhere near those two cities and still want to engage with Blackbird, you just go to blackbird.ca and you search for the things you want. Say you want to order both Zune records. Well, the first one might be hard to get, actually. I think it's out of print at the moment. I don't know. Maybe, it's, maybe you can get it. But the new one is available. You can you can get it if you want. Just go in there and, and, and type in Baker Moegan, and you never know. They, they might be able to ship it right to your house or uh, make sure one's uh, in stock and waiting for you when you go in there. So, again, for more information, visit blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts. In Hamilton, Ontario, this is episode 776 Of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Daniel Monkman of Zune, with your host, me, Vishkana. Hi, Daniel, how's it going? Hi, Vish. It's going great. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to see you and hear you again. Where in the world are you? I'm, uh, yeah, good to see
2: you too. And, um, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, sunny Toronto, Ontario.
1: Oh, nice. Yes. I, I, I you know, as we're speaking, I heard tell it's like bonkers hot. It's not even warm. It's like, is it, is that true? Is it really, really hot?
2: I'm in shorts right now. Shorts. Shorts. Yeah. And a t shirt because it's just like too hot.
1: Wouldn't it be great if you asked, if you watched a, a newscast and they were doing the weather and the weather person just said, well, I'm wearing shorts. Back to you, Joan. That was it. That's the temperature. The weather is I'm wearing shorts. You figure it out. That would be a funnier way of than 32, 27 right? degrees Celsius. But it is like in the, it's unusually high. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. And and then I, I was saying that to someone last night. I was like, wow, I can't believe winter is over. And I'm just watching Game of Thrones. And then my friend was like, well, it's supposed to ice storm in, in a day. And I was like, what? Yeah. Ice storm in a day? They're, it's going to be taken away from
1: us. That's what I saw. I saw a uh, high of 27 degrees Celsius, which for my international friends who don't know what Celsius means, that's hot. <laughs> I don't know. Really, I don't even know what the Fahrenheit equivalent is. I never know what the, I can't then, remember. Then,
2: yeah. I don't know the conversion is.
1: Uh, that's hot. That's like a summer day. That's like a nice summer day is like 27 degrees and then like low of like 11, which is low. That's spring, fall. Then, like, one day in Ontario, as we're speaking, like, in the coming week, it's, like, zero. <laughs> like, no heat and, like, an ice storm. So, yeah, I don't know if you think much about uh, climate change. I know there's discussion uh, sometimes in indigenous culture about what it means. Do you have any kind of reflection upon this? Like, the, I don't like to use this word lightly, but the insanity of the weather seems... Oh. I I don't know. Do you have any insights in this uh, on this? Just given anything you've read about or heard about in your family history or anything like that?
2: Well, I uh, I was just working on a film, like a a documentary series, which you probably heard of. It's called The Nature of Things.
1: Oh yes, of course. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's great. Oh,
2: thank you. It was a it was a huge project, and I didn't really understand how huge until I started telling people, and people would be crying. They're like, "That was my childhood." I've been working on this film called uh, War for the Woods. I really saw an inside of uh, clear cutting and the effects that it has on the mm. ecosystem, especially in British Columbia. Where, when I was like, when, when I wasn't, when I quit music and I was just trying to live, I got a job tree planting, and so they wouldn't. I would never fly helicopters, but I remember the first time that I uh, flew in a helicopter to go to an isolation camp to plant trees for the, I think it was like the oil sands or something. I remember seeing the clear cuts for the first time and just not really processing like, oh, this is like really bad or uh, alarming. But I just remember being like, this is so cool. Mm. And then watching the film now as a, like I'm 31 years old now and watching this, working on this film, like hearing David talk about it, like for seven months of my life, you start to understand that like you can't just like clear out old growth and stuff like that that is so rich with the uh, protecting the ecosystems yeah without ha- damage actually happening and getting out of that film i have like a new perspective of it too for sure
1: yeah it's uh you know i didn't want to start on a down down note but it's right in our faces <laughs> all the down stuff it, it's just yeah. right there and uh you know usually you talk about the weather and it's pretty banal like oh yeah you know how's it going well it's nice out it's not nice out but it's getting to the point where like it's erratically, the, the weather's just Changing. so erratic. Yeah. Yeah. Does that affect? So that's an interesting point of view that I hadn't really thought of before. And I appreciate your insights there about, uh, uh, working on that film. But, uh, do you find that this, uh, errat- cause people's moods change with the weather. Mm-hmm. If it's a sunny day or if it's not sunny for a spell people say well i got i'm i'm sad i'm depressed there's <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. i'm not getting my vitamin d and i'm sad and then if it's really sunny they get they get up what do you think it means if it's all erratic all the time i mean like not just the mood but like i would think if if I, i'll tell you what i think i'll just tell you how i feel you tell me if you can relate i am terrified i find that terrifying if i look at a weather forecast like the one i just described i get like whoa, no i have children this is upsetting to me you know what i'm saying yeah
2: no i you know i think about the young people like in in my culture we're supposed to think of seven generations from us so so like when when you're preparing the land and you're doing things you're thinking of like am i doing something that will be sustainable for seven generations yeah and i think that way of thinking just doesn't operate with the uh, uh corporations and stuff i think it's like yeah. short-term thinking yeah. even though they would like their legacy to live long past them but i think for them it's like
1: very short-term getting the profits quickly as short-term possible. profiting so yeah could. profiteering yeah. yeah yeah absolutely you uh scares me. in in Zoom, i know that you tend to and in your other projects too i guess uh but you tend to think about um your life from like a multi-generational perspective the history of your family Within that, you, I think one, if they're involved in such a, an expression, they can't help but ponder the future, uh, as it relates mm. to their heritage and their past and where they are now. Do you feel like there's a lot of pondering of what's coming next for you in your life, in your songwriting? Or I, I, I'm trying to unpack this from the records I've heard you make. Congratulations on the new one. It's wonderful. Uh, we've talked at length about, uh, my uh, interest in your uh, approach to lyricism. Cause I, I don't know if you, I feel like you agreed with me that it's a bit sparse, but direct. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Anyway, my, my initial question. Most was, times, actually. It's, it's times. You, I, I think we talked about it the last time you were on mm-hmm. about how I, I marvel at how catchy your repetition yes. is. Yes.
2: Like I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: say like minimal stuff, but it gets in my head. I think it gets in all our heads. It's just so evocative and it's, it's, it's not like, pages and pages of lyrics it's just like a couple anyway my point is uh, what was my point oh yeah temporality I guess is my point do you find that you do a lot of future pondering in on this record or in your work generally or is it a lot about unpacking your history uh, on some level like I said I think they're intertwined but do you know where I'm coming from here
2: yeah because I wrote the I wrote the album in 2020 as soon as like I went on tour the world shut down and I had a little bit of money, like a few thousand dollars. And when I heard that things were shutting down, I was like, maybe I should invest in a like a computer so I can do some like home recordings. I don't know. This thing might be a few months or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I quickly went to Toronto, got a computer, brought it back to my house. And um, I just immediately started working on this record. And in the beginning of it, like the first couple months, or first couple weeks, I was like, okay, this could... This is probably gonna end in a month, and then when the month came up, I was the, my boss was like, "No, we're not gonna be doing for another at least another month." And I was like, "Oh, okay, okay, another month." And then it just kept going. Where my boss finally was just like, "Don't email us. We'll email you when the cup like when we're prepared." And I was like, "Okay." So I, I I finally accepted that this thing might be a really long time, and and then I was very alone in my apartment, and that's when I started to just kind of grieve because i had just i li- would just lost my dad mm. and th- in the grind of trying to get my music heard and working a day job i just didn't have time to grieve and really c- grasp the concept of like losing someone in my life who um was my father and very complicated relationship too and yeah. and then my friend had passed away um in the beginning of the pandemic when they gave serb he was a recovering addict and all of a sudden, he got this money, and he just like got excited, I guess, and did a fentanyl or
1: something. It was mixed oh in. Oh my god! I'm so it sorry, just... Daniel.
2: Yeah, it was. It was. It was really intense in the beginning, and all this stuff was hitting me, and I had nothing but better to do but just kind of like reflect and try to process um, these two major events in my life, and then experiencing like a collective uh, thing like COVID that we all experienced together and that's where the title of the record comes from it's like slowing down and like for the first time like i remember when they were talking about that the dolphins were returning to the ocean yes. or something it was like yeah. the clouds are coming or it's like something something was changing and i i felt like this rebirth and i was like that's what i was like really focusing and thinking about and hoping for like i was like i hope this is like the changing of the planet yes And, and, you know, and then the corporations were like, no, we gotta get back to work. We don't need
1: dolphins. We don't, yeah, we don't need uh, clean air in the skies. We gotta get back at it. Yeah. So, so within that, you felt rebirth meant new future. And now, how do you feel about that? Like, uh, sorry, uh, when I say new future, every future is new. Uh, the next five minutes (laughs) are going to be new for us, but you know what I mean? Like, we're going to maybe starting from a different kind of ground like point zero because of this thing it's like a reset so the future will be different than it was if there hadn't been this cataclysmic change but then like you said and i agree with you sadly things kind of went back to a what people some people thought was normal it's such a weird word because it's not normal our normal wasn't normal but anyway how does that affect your optimism i guess for the future if you will the fact that it just went reverted back as quickly as possible to. (laughs) <laughs> kind of bullshittery
2: <laughs> yeah i know it, it was in i found um i found a lot of like success during the pandemic putting up my record yeah. and and i really enjoyed that it was like I, I got to experience all these good things but i didn't have to like go out on the road and slug it out there where where i was doing that so much leading up to my release but in, those, in that time, I wasn't able to tell people I was signed and I had a record by contract. I couldn't promote my record. So I never got to experience that. And then all of a sudden, I experienced it on lockdown. And a lot of my friends were excited to get back on the road. And I was really dreading it. I didn't really want to do it. And when things started to open up, I did get really excited. And I started seeing... Like, you could see people. And you're like, hey, how's it going? And, you know, I... I was really excited for it but then obviously some people didn't have the same experience some people had to like keep working yeah. and and it was like probably really bad for them some people couldn't even get that cerb thing and I can't imagine how desolate the, their optimism must have been You
1: recognize your own privilege so it's hard not to be Yeah I get it it's hard to be uh doom and gloom when if you're able to function outside of um, pan- a pandemic. Like on some level, you're. I will relate to what you're saying. It sounds like you, self consciously flourished uh, yeah. during this time that a lot of people didn't, and uh, and worse, you know, some of us lost people. Uh, you lost people during exactly. this pandemic. Yeah. I lost people because of this pandemic. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So, um, I hear you because I feel the same, and maybe that's also why I'm not eager. Uh, I remain not eager to get back to normal. I'm still not uh, doing as much stuff as I used to do. You have, though, like you said, you started to do it. And I know I've seen mm-hmm. you've, you've been on the road uh, when it started to get safer. Uh, you said you were dreading it. Uh, how's it been since you started playing shows again and touring and whatnot?
2: Still struggling with it. Like, we just played last night. And last night it was good because it was just a hometown show. But when we get on the road, it's, like, really, really tough for me. I just... I don't even know how to describe it. I think it's just... I think it's what you're describing. It's like not... I, going back to normal. I don't think what we were doing, the normal, was healthy. No. Like going on the road and just like doing all these things. I It just... The way that we're not even like treating artists like actual like workers or anything. Like with respect. It's like um, right. It's like the Wild West out there. And it was tough. It was tough to get back. Because I wanted to, I kept picturing a better future, a, be, a better and brighter future for artists. And I kept talking about it when we were in the pandemic, in the middle of it. I was just like, I can see things changing and getting better for music. Maybe we'll return to a smaller scale, but it will be, hmm. it'll be like how in Europe and stuff, people treat artists like it's a trade and... I hate to put it in that kind of terms, but that's just the world we live in and it'd just be nicer if people could like actually make a living and stuff.
1: So, okay. So you've kind of hinted at what, I I just wonder if people who aren't familiar with what it means to be a touring artist in Europe kind of know what you mean. Uh, Because you're talking about the experience. I initially thought you were going to talk about sort of a virus dread or illness dread, but it sounds like you have vocational dread. Uh, then the notion of going on the road fills you with a certain amount. Like I'm sure there's excitement in there and you like to play and all that stuff, but it sounds like you actually are dreaded a little. Oh God, here come the dates. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but that's, I think that's fair. And I, you're not the only one I've talked to who's had that. Like, yes, it'll be nice to get back on the road. God damn. I don't really want to go back on the road. I kind of like, God, I mean, I, as you may guess, when I talk to artists who are more my age or in my situation with a family, you know, uh, one of my f- friends is someone who his band would traditionally be on the road 290 mm. days of the year, probably. You know what right. I'm saying? And wow. and they have a child. And so during the pandemic, it was such a relief for their partner and for them to be home. And then as soon as things started to kick back, uh, the absence was really felt. You know, when when he <sighs> when he hit the road again, the absence at home is felt. So it it is a catch twenty two, um, because that's how they make a living. That's how that work sustains the family, uh, finances and whatnot. It has to be done anyway. I've gone on a bit of a, a rant there. Wow. I forget what my original question was. Oh, can you uh, home in on what it is that? What's the best way of putting this in a less melancholy way? What is the what you you hinted at it? What what you would hope to see happen for artists in north america versus europe can you dial into that a little bit more like what is the treatment like in europe compared to here when you say you were hoping for a better future for musicians and for artists like let's get into it nuts and bolts you're you're on the road you're getting to venues you're playing shows what would you like to see in canada or america that would actually benefit you mentally spiritually you know in terms of your physical mm-hmm. health. Well can you articulate that a little bit?
2: Yeah, there's just there's a lot of just little things that artists could use that would help them for the longevity of sustaining a life that is on the road a lot and you know, there, there's just there's things like say like a solo artist takes a band on the road and paying every individual person two hundred to three hundred dollars each and then accommodations and food and all that stuff. It's like in Europe, they a lot of places they 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 feed you, they sleep, they put yeah. accommodations for you, and all those little things help so much. And here in the states, Canada is a little bit better because it's a little bit looser and stuff, a little like grassroots. But America, it's just like the wild west. And I hear that's like the UK too. Hmm. but it's mostly just little things like that and just um but also like just valuing music and how actually important it is to the culture yeah you know it's such like an important thing and it's um uh, i don't want to get too cheesy but it is like a universal language like if i didn't speak a certain language but i was sitting in her room with someone and we heard a beautiful piece of piano or something I'm sure we could both appreciate it, right? You know, and it's like that to me is really special and I that's, that's why I do music, it's to connect. Yeah. And I felt like there was a disconnect happening with the artists and the environment that the artist is in. It's always like, oh, the moody artist, the like that. It's like, why is the artist moody? Why is the artist doesn't want to talk to anyone after a show? Is it because it it's like a very soul sucking experience for most people some people eat it up and that's and you see them that that's the famous people you know and but they
1: struggled too i think the adventure of being on tour has lost its luster um because uh mm. in my day when you would go on tour it was kind of like camping you kind of didn't know <laughs> where you'd be sleeping and uh, necessarily and you'd figure it out when you get to town I will say, for some reason, I was rather proficient as a road manager in getting us places to stay. And every, I don't know how, I don't know why, I was always the one who could do it. And uh, and and then you know at people's places if we could avoid paying for uh, hotels, motels, and um, yeah. But I feel like that you're not the only one who's been outspoken about this from the perspective of the artist in the last few years. I'm sure you're aware Mm -hmm. of this. Lots of people have. Some people have said, "I'm done." I'm not even doing yeah, this anymore. It's so, like you mentioned fuel and accommodations and food, everything's so expensive. So where I'm coming from is two things here. Um, one, the harder question is, have you had these thoughts of like, I don't think I want to be a road dog anymore at all. It's not fun. It's not healthy. It's not affordable. Have you had that thought? And secondly, because of all this outspokenness, and I don't know if you agree with me on that, but I Feel like a lot more artists are talking about their mental health and the physical and financial toll of touring. Do you think they're being heard? Do you think you're being heard right now by the people that mm. put together events and shows? Like, is it resonating? Have you seen any evidence of that? So two things. Would you, would yeah. you want to stop? If you could stop, would you stop? Have you had that thought? And secondly, do you think in being more outspoken, it's actually causing things to improve even incrementally at the moment?
2: Yeah, like, uh, I, uh, in my group of friends of musicians, they all know me as someone who doesn't enjoy touring. And if I could have... The reason why I'm doing more film scores is so that I have the freedom to make a choice if I need to go on the road. Where before it was like, I got to sell these records because I want to get onto a bigger bracket with Factor. So with Factor, I could get more grants. And then with more grants, I could subsidize and then blah 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 and i could keep some of my profits and then in return slowly i could build something and when you're just left with that option of only touring that can be really tough yeah that can really be really tough but i knew that as a creative mind there's multiple ways to make money and when i got really into film scoring i saw the freedom that it could bring to me yeah and and I do it all from my home. I yeah. don't have to go on the road. Right. I went to Mexico and I worked on the film there. But like, it gives me a lot of freedom, and I like that. And so right now, I'm in a really comfortable spot of not feeling too too much pressure yeah. of uh, going on the road. You know, but yeah. I just I still get it. I still have that that feeling of like, oh no, like I just should go on the road because. If I don't, then I won't get the exposure and maybe get a Juno nomination or something, you know? Because that stuff really matters to them. They want to see that the artist is out there really slaving, and that's the system that we're in. It's like this,
1: yes, yeah,
2: backward system of all the Junos, the factors,
1: like all of them want external pressure. You feel external pressure from some of these organizations in a way. Yeah,
2: to qualify for some of them, you have to be doing so much work and um i don't think they put into account inflation and mental health and the state of the the music industry
1: well listen i appreciate you speaking on these things uh i hope you're never afraid to Not some people wouldn't and it's not yeah i know it's not always the the most fun subject matter but i appreciate it because it's the reality of what my guests on this show and and my friends are going through if I if I may. So I just want to say mm-hmm. it's appreciated and I hope you find peace with it one way or the other. It sounds like you're getting there, figuring out other yeah, ways to, to make a living. That, I mean, the other side of it is, particularly in a post-Napster streaming age, it was like touring's the only way to make money and that's not true now because of how expensive yeah. it is. So then there's a real reckoning and all of it comes back to what you were saying earlier about how devalued art and music is. And again, not fun or pleasant fodder for conversation but i just want to say it's important to talk about it as far as i'm concerned so thank you
2: i think so too yeah i appreciate when artists were starting to become re- very real uh with them um, how how the operation actually goes because the facade and the illusion online you can paint any canvas yeah and make it seem like you're somewhere else well
1: that's the other weird part of this right because social media which artists are more involved in is a fake thing it is a Mm -hmm. fake uh reflection usually like uh look how cool this is look how fun this is but it's not real like i mean it's (laughs) that one moment in a day maybe that was okay and then you're the rest of your time you're like shit yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's the some reality yeah there's some fakery in all this i want to get uh, to this uh, brilliant new record of yours because you alluded to a couple of things have gone on with you since we last spoke i would say um you made a couple of records that were critically acclaimed both on your own and with uh, our mutual colleague adam sturgeon and mm-hmm. congratulations on that then you start talking about the film score work you're doing uh, i wonder how those various experiences informed your approach to making this brand new record, because I would think that I know from personal experience talking to friends who have entered the realm of film scoring, or like just stepped a little bit outside of the realm that they're used to working in as a songwriter and a singer. Of uh, some of my friends, you say film scoring. Some of my friends score video games. Totally mm-hmm. different experience from what they're kind of yep. known for, and it and then it ends up kind of bleeding into. Their whole expression like their film and video game scores start to get a little more whatever their core sensibility is and then that other assignment stuff starts to inform (laughs) their actual expression (laughs) uh has there been a bit of a swirl for you as you've done other projects has it informed uh what zune is at the moment
2: before the pandemic i had worked on a few films and but going way far back, I remember when I would go visit my dad in the late 90s in Winnipeg. I would go visit him and he would show me how to use the VHS player and the VHS rewinder, like super rewinder. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you pop it in, and you press rewind, Danny. And in a few seconds, it'll be at the start. And so I'd watch movies, really inspiring movies that I didn't know at the time as a kid, like musically. But I remember watching the first X-Files movie, and the person who f- scored it was this guy named Mark Snow. Hmm. And he's really, really good. And And I didn't know it as a kid, but I just remembered getting drawn to these string arrangements and, and very cinematic moments. And that always stuck with me throughout my life, and I was always drawn to like a music. Like when I heard Nick Drake, I was like, Oh my gosh, I love the strings or, and so I was just always drawn to that type of music and that I always wanted to make a record that was um like that, that sounded like that. Hmm. And and when I was doing film scores, it was more ambient music and stuff like that. And very like beautiful, but no strings yet. And no big, like cinematic, acustral stuff. But, um, Getting into making this record, I had uh, finally like had support from the label because with the, my debut, they didn't know what it was going to be. Yeah, they actually like cut half of the funding, the promotional fund because they were like, "Oh, this is just some niche thing. We actually this too risky." And then when it got like, some acclaim, they're like, "Okay, your next record, like we have some more support. We can like help you with other things." And right. I found myself in a position where I could like make a record like that, and. And I was making film at the same time, so it was just like bleeding really into hmm. there was there was moments from the record that were supposed to be in a film score, but I just like kept it because I was like, Oh, this is like too weird and it doesn't really go with the film. But yeah, like the film scoring really bled into Zune and is bleeding into Om Bigazay all as well. Is
1: it? Okay. That's interesting. Okay. And I mean you talk about strings. I feel like when you were on the show to talk about i think it was during the Zoom chat uh you referenced owen pallet uh yeah. working with him to try to figure out some string arrangements and here they are they sound wonderful what was it like working with owen uh to to bring these uh, string parts to life
2: oh yeah i can't believe it that day that was when all that time ago that i was talking about bringing working with owen
1: Pallett. yeah it was like a few years ago yeah yeah that was
2: so long ago holy moly yeah. It was just exactly what I thought it was going to be. You know, just Owen, kind of like mad genius. You know, it was really hard to track him down, though. It took about a year to really track down Owen to like... He's a busy guy. Yeah, yeah. like really busy at that time, too. I was like, he was, he was just working on the new uh, Arcade Fire record, if you can believe that.
1: And um, I can believe that and, he's uh, he's basically a member of that band. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <it's> like <laughs> that's his that's his job in that band. I would say. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it was really hard to track him down and get him to work on that. But after once we once I got him locked in, he was just we were working with this orchestra called the F- the Flame Orchestra, and uh, I think it's, they're called the O Flame Orchestra and um yes yeah, working with owen i was just so amazed with what owen did because owen created everything midi first and even on like really weird shoegazy songs i was like i don't even know what owen will do for this and then he just showed me all these like cello parts that just like work so well and i unconsciously didn't play much bass on the record like almost next to none because i didn't own one hmm. so it allowed owen to work so well with the record and i didn't even understand that at the time but once owen was like oh it was incredible there's no bass so it's just like i could just i i could move around so much and and it ended up just working just by chance just by chance hmm. and and there's really beautiful moments in the in the record that really show the, the beauty of the orchestra
1: I can't recall. Can you write uh, or read music, per se? No, no, I can't. <laughs> so when you're talking to someone like Owen, who, for those who don't know, Owen Pallett, goddamn genius, uh, yeah. just like a musical, I don't know if he he's a prodigy, or he was, I don't know how that works anymore when you're a man, an adult. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he, he has been, he's just, he can do anything with music. Let's put it that way. So uh, is it a case where you're like, yeah, so I had this melody in mind. Can you turn that into strings? And then he goes, yeah, all right, I'll figure that out. Is that how it worked? Like, would you sound phonetically? Like, how do you describe what you're going to do? I guess you're both in Toronto, right?
2: Yeah, Toronto. So would you like, get together we, we got- to talk about this? well it was during the pandemic so oh, okay. it was like very like remote I see but we met up and Owen would show me parts we sat in his apartment and we worked on things but he would mostly like either come up with his own parts his own melodies or he would hear something that I was doing in the song and then mimic it and like kind of reinforce it and hmm. and then in the mixing we would take out my original thing and just leave in Owen's and then I it would see. just be like it was kind of like that, you know? Okay. Not- but, I, but I know people like Beck, he would like hum to his dad who works his, uh, the orchestra, most of the string arrangements on his records. Yeah. He would hum it and then his dad would just like come up with parts and it will probably work like that, you know? Because that's a lot of time I'll just come with a song and like just a little humming parts.
1: I think that's what McCartney used to do with George Martin oh, really? as well. Like just be like, oh, here's really? what I want to because He can't read or write music, uh, either. Paul McCartney, oh, Paul, by the way, people, Paul that. McCartney was in a band called Wings. If you don't know Wings, yeah. check them out. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, he would do the same thing, I think. So, it's not unusual, uh, to do yeah. that. Um, so that, no, that's fascinating. That's 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 really interesting. You also, um, uh, among the guests on there are a few different guests here but one of them another one that caught my eye on this new record uh is someone i've become friendly with over the last couple of decades myself lee ronaldo of sonic youth um Damn. it sounds like that was a bit happenstance in terms of getting to know lee is that correct
2: oh yeah yeah oh my gosh i didn't know that it was gonna ha- actually happen at all uh it was very by like it was a it was a series of events dating back to 2018 that led me to that that recording session that i had met lee and then we just found out that we like uh just knew a lot of the same people and but uh i was uh in 2018 i got an, a, sh- a show offer with a band called the medicine singers mm-hmm. and Jonathan gat at lee's palace in toronto and i took the gig met them they fell in love with me i fell in love with all the medicine singers and Jonathan gat and his guitar playing and And we just kept in touch throughout the year. We'd send each other music and blah, blah, blah. And when the world was uh, shut down, they were working on a record and I was always sending them stuff and we were going to do something. And when the world opened back up and they started touring and playing music, Jonathan Gat was just always like, Danny, we would love to have you play with us. It would be so cool to have a younger indigenous person in the band with us, you know, at any level you want at least come record with us and so last fme festival like last summer jonathan was like come play with us fme and then come record with us at hotel tatango he's like lee ronaldo will be there um, people from godspeed and a few other folks and i was like dude of course of course
1: i'll come record." of course yeah <laughs>
2: So that 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 week was really intense for me. My manager at the time kind of screwed up my schedule and almost canceled that rehearsal. It Was like, you can't make it. You're supposed to be somewhere else. Uh-huh. And I was really got in a crossroads with them. And I was like, no, like this is really important. This needs to happen. And it can't be any other way. Whatever you got to do, you have to figure it out, change things. But that date can't change right of course and uh, yeah like literally it couldn't it couldn't i was like i don't know what you got to do yeah you got to figure it out yeah and uh blessed that the person at the time figured it out and it worked out and i was able to go out there and record but that's where i met lee and oh. re- he, he like rode in on a uber got out of an uber and oh maybe i shouldn't say this stuff but uh <laughs> um but then we just had a good time <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, i just didn't expect to see him and him do this the thing that he did and i was just like oh my god this is an, this is exactly what i wanted how i would want to meet someone like this and yeah and, the, and and obviously lee's like um like indie rock celebrity that i i really just want to treat him like a, a musician in the studio and so when we were writing in the studio, I'd always just be like, what do you think about this, Lee? Like, what do you think about this? Or we'd be singing and stuff like that. And just not asking him questions. Even when we were outside having a break, I would just be like, um, asking him what projects he had on the go or how his family was doing and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and then slowly asking questions, he, he started asking me questions. He's like, where are you from? And I was like, oh, uh, Winnipeg. That's where I was oh born, wow, right? that's
1: a connection for him. Amazing.
2: And then, and then right away he was like, he's like Winnipeg. He's like, that's where my life wife Leah is from. Yeah. We go there every year. Yeah. I was like, what? Really? I was like, yeah. I, I was like, I grew up in the north end. He's like, the north end. He's like, end. He's like that's where I recorded my yeah. solo album about the north yeah. end uh, women. Yeah. I was like, dude, that's where I lived. I lived on Salter and stuff like that. And then it, it just like kept going into this thing where uh we knew all the same people and um and then he was like wait a minute he's like so what music do you like i was like well i just made this record called bleached waves and it was like nominated for this award called polaris and um it's he's like what kind of music is it i was like well people were calling it moccasin gaze but it's like indigenous mixed with like powwow drumming and wallace sound Mm -hmm. but it kind of goes everywhere and um he had this like thing on his phone and he was like scan it and take my information let's keep in touch he's like i want to hear about this moccasin and <laughs> i
1: was
2: like i can't believe so- lee ronaldo's in, in my mind but i was like yeah lee i'll definitely give you a copy yeah. uh, i was like if i can find one but they're sold out and it's like kind of hard to find right now like my label won't print anymore for a while and um so we exchanged numbers, and we and we were staying at the agents who were hosting the event, like the recording session, put us at the same hotel. So we were always talking, and my partner, uh, who I used to date, is this painter in New York, and she just signed to this uh, art gallery, who. I was talking to Lee about, it and he was like, "That's those are my friends. Those are my friends." I was like, "All oh, these was like all these connections." It was so strange. So um, we got our separate. We record that album with the Medicine Singers, and it was like a, such a good experience. And um, we record the album, and we go our own ways. And then Lee like texts me. I think Lee texted me, being like, "Hey, Daniel, just wanted to say hi, and here's the photos from the weekend. I uh, just want to say that." My son Sage says hi, and says that um, he played your record "Bleached Waves" in twenty twenty on his radio station Ciet in Toronto.
1: Yeah, his son has a had a had a show on the University yeah. of Toronto radio station. That's right. Yeah, we would often talk about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I, I was just like, "Holy shit!" Hey, Sage, you know, and and then I was like, my record was still trying. I was trying to finished my record and, and then I went to New York to record and listen to the, what we had made uh, months before. And Lee was playing with Yola Tango mm-hmm. and invited, invited us down there. And uh, in the, in that time of uh, talking about his son, Sage, I, I, I shared with Lee that um, I was working on a new record or he asked me, yeah. I can't remember. yeah. But I was, I, I was like, do you want to play on it at all? He's like, yeah, send me over, whatever. I was like, but I was like, literally the label needs it in two hours. Like, this is no joke. I still have the text messages of like being like, actually my label wants it in two hours. Like, do you think you could do anything? <laughs> and he was like, he's like, I think I could do something. I was like, he's like, just depends on what the song is. And I was like, I'll give you the easiest song to play on. Yeah. And so I just gave him like a really easy ambient song. And I was like, just do whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the label was like, We'll give Lee Ronaldo all the time that he needs to <laughs> record a part. So I was like, "You got a day," and uh, and then I yeah, he came back super quick, and I wanted him to play more, and he wanted to play more, and he's like, "Too bad we couldn't do more." But when at the Yolo Tango show, he was like, "He's like my schedule's opening up, and like let's do something soon or something," and I was like, "Okay, I'll get music together," and so that's kind of what I've been doing the last little while.
1: These uh, I will say. Uh... Uh, Lee and I, like I say, have become friendly over the last couple of decades. He's a wonderful and very social. Right. I think that's what I have learned about Lee. Like your story doesn't seem uncommon to me. I, if I, yeah, Lee and I have so many mutual friends, and he's very outgoing and open to uh, hearing from people and and uh, and collaborating with people. So it's it's lovely. I just want to say this is a lovely story. It 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 kind of uh, uh, corroborates feelings and thoughts I've had. Uh, about Lee wow. and it's so nice, uh, that, uh, he sees something in you, uh, uh, because we see it too. And it's, eh, I'm just saying it's very nice. Uh, it's very nice. Wow. Now, the song you mentioned there, uh, that Lee contributes to, I think is a significant one for you in your life trajectory. Can you expand yeah. upon that particular song and, um, uh, what it means to you at this point? Uh, by the way, as far as I can recall, and forgive me if I'm wrong, I believe it's an instrumental. However, um, yeah. it has, uh, a title that connotes something. I'm I'm really building this up. Daniel, can you <laughs> talk a little bit about what that uh, song is called, what that uh, what what that means, and what it means to you? Is that possible? Yeah, of course.
2: So for a lot, for a big portion of my life, I lived in really kind of sketchy situations with like a lot of um, homophobic. Uh, uh, I would say like people who were involved in gangs yes. and selling drugs and stuff like that and as a child i remember always feeling i was raised by my mom my aunties my grandma i had some communication with my dad but he was unable to really be there so i was really raised and protected by feminized people my entire life and i don't really have much uncles like we had one but he was he was never around so it was just like really uh matriarchal upbringing for me like that's what i was really raised on I was really raised early on about like my mom whenever she had like her period and stuff like that. I remember at a young age question being like, "Why is it their blood in the toilet yeah yeah and uh, and my mom always just like any time in my life, I was always protected uh by my aunties and my mom, so I was always drawn to a uh, feminine energy and always felt safer around queer folk and 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 just, like, feminized people. But just, it doesn't even have to be a feminized piece of person. Just that it wasn't even, like, feminized. It was just this type of energy yeah. that was something that I was very familiar with and felt safe and secure with. And I just didn't feel that way when I, was, uh, when I was on the streets hanging out with these types of folks. And I felt like I could never, like, express myself. But I was always called out on certain things. Um, people would always, like, kind of make fun of how sensitive I was. And going to rehab and learning more about myself and accepting myself brought me closer to, to who I want wanted to be and actually express myself. And I remember putting out bleached waves and feeling like uh, a lot of body dysmorphia. And hmm. I was struggling with the s- skin stuff on my face. It was like eczema or something. It was really intense. And I just didn't feel safe enough. But with this record, I just remember wanting to show that support and, and, and really just um, as my own experience of self-love is just like uh, honoring yourself, you know? Sure. And, and and that's what I felt like I was doing with this record was just like honoring it. And I, I didn't want it to be like this major thing in my life where like this is like, this is going to be my whole identity. It's just that this was just a, a little... Uh, acknowledgement to myself and and just for other people to understand who I am they want to get to know me better but it's never like I get upset if someone doesn't see it the same way as I do Uh, it's more just for myself and and that's what that song was about it was it's the reason why it was instrumental for one thing because I was working on a lot of films but what I love about instrumental music is that um, no one's spoon feeding you a, ver- a like a, a, a narrative when you're listening to it. You're just kind of like hearing sounds, and and you're kind of left in your own subconscious to think for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I wanted. And that and the reason why I just named it the title is because that's just when I listen to that. That's how I think. That's
1: what I was thinking about at the time. And, and and sorry what and, can you actually i i hinted at this but what what is the title and what does it mean
2: um so it it's kind of like a it's kind of like a long 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 name and and, and in my culture there's not really a word to how do i describe this like it's two spirit but where i come from it's not we don't really call it two spirit but because the way the world is right now, um, most people know Two-Spirits, so that's kind of it. Was just like more of a uh, a placeholder for people to understand what I meant. But it's called Nish
1: Manaduig and Nish Manaduig. Okay, yeah,
2: yeah, and but Niji. Some people just call it Niji or something, and that's just kind of short for it. But that's one way to describe it. For me, it's something else, but I still haven't figured it out. But
1: You know, it, I, I will say, I don't mean to interject, but I, I have heard. So what happens, uh, certainly among white people, <laughs> is uh, they glom onto a term. Uh, it's hard to keep. I, I just want to give everyone here uh, the benefit of the doubt. Uh, it can yeah. be difficult, I will say, to keep up with all the terminology. What, yeah. How you're supposed to talk about things? What how you're supposed to describe people? And um, in the last ten years, I think uh, I would argue, and as someone who kind of pays attention to lexicon stuff, Two Spirit started to emerge as a way of class- uh, categorizing people um, mm-hmm. and their orientations and all those sorts of things. And then what I heard is like uh, within a few years, actually, from like Indigenous scholars, yeah, we don't actually use that term. Yeah, that's a term other people use. And I think when they say other people they mean academics or Yeah. Well meaning, but maybe well meaning, I don't know. People who are just trying to be allies, but then the terms change and then the allyship feels like, oh shit, I'm saying the wrong thing. I thought we were all saying this. So it gets a little confusing. I just want to put that out there. I'm not making excuses for anyone. No. Uh but it is would you admit, Daniel, it can be a bit complicated totally. to keep up?
2: Yeah. yeah, of course. And that's yeah. why it was like hard to like to even start this conversation, but I knew that I just wanted to. And, and when people want to ask me, I can go in depth, like, like what I'm doing right now. And yeah. and then it gives me a chance to actually explain to people. Cause some people like, um, that I know, know that that's maybe not a term that we would use,
1: but it's just like, a it's in the lexicon. It, it's like what yeah, people understand. Like people, I think, sorry, can you do this for me, Daniel? Like for someone who doesn't know what two spirit means at all, has not heard the term. Do you have a definition for it? Like, I know you're going to come at it from a personal perspective, but you and I are both kind of dancing around the fact mm-hmm. that people are employing this term, but may not, again, it may not actually be the correct term uh, from people who would know, but it is still the one that people are using. I see it in all sorts of um, documents about proper terms to use. Mm-hmm. How do you define it for yourself? Or sorry, can you do me a favor and everyone listening, can you give people the layman's definition of what people think it is and what it means? And also briefly talk about what it means from your perspective personally. Can you do both of those things? Yeah.
2: So I think the two spirit, the general thing is um, someone who draws from the masculine and feminine energy and somehow it is molded as as one and for me i th- I think it's just like maybe a little bit more complicated because i don't see it as like just like two different things i think of it as like um how would you describe it like it's like a spectrum almost like um and it's not even like your two things at once it's like um
1: the, the, the common terminology these days is non-binary. Is that the closest? I think
2: so. Something like that. Yeah, yeah like non-binary. But it's like, I, I don't even get upset when people call me uh, here or anything. It's like not even like, I don't see this like that still. It's like, mm. I just uh, I just know that I, I feel comfortable around feminine energy. And that's where a, a lot of my intuition comes from. Because I was just so raised but with my mom and and I can pick up on certain things, but I never want to categorize it as just like, this is a feminine thing. And because like, I know hyper feminine people who have masculine characteristics too, yeah. you know, it's so it's just funny how we're in a world where it's, you know, there's a lot of definitions for things and it's people kind of get lost in the translation or something.
1: Well, But some of it emanates from a very personal feeling and sensation that that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh and where it gets complicated is in the in in your case as a public figure there has to be some semblance of presentation of who you are. Yeah. Um so on the one hand you have probably always thought that you are whatever it means to be to spirit but it hasn't really to, to my knowledge this is a relatively new definition for yourself, right? I mean yeah. it's part of the album promotion is like this is a revelation you made about yourself in recent times is public, that right? yeah the, yeah. The,
2: yeah where i released it public it was yes uh, it was yeah. a sibling who encouraged me to be like maybe you should like actually like tell people start telling yeah. people now because yeah. it's been a while and um you want to like show support it was dur- definitely during the black lives matter where my uh, sibling was like you should really like um yeah like
1: you felt empowered
2: yeah like just should uh, express express it because there's gonna be there's because of i i'm i guess i'm an influencer or something that (laughs) you have a platform yeah yeah yeah, where where my siblings and i come from there's no one who has maybe done stuff like i've done Mm -hmm. and and not that i'm saying what i'm doing is super important but for indigenous youth And not having role models, you know, not paintings or pictures or posters of Native people. A lot of them have posters of uh, Brad Pitt or something, you know, and uh, that's their role model. And uh, it's important that our youth see, have real models, you know, not just a role model, like real uh, people. So even though I was uh, identifying in this certain way uh, for some time, there became a point where I was like, you know what, Randy, that does make a lot of sense that having a platform like me now, it, it, I shouldn't take it for granted and that it's, it is important to have community and, yeah. and to support each other in that way.
1: You have a, a song here that is expressing something deeply personal for yourself and it's an instrumental. I alluded earlier to my um, admiration for what you are able to do with uh, relatively sparse lyrics, meaning what you're able to the emotion and the meaning you're able to convey with relatively minimal language use. One yeah. other thing that popped for me on this record, and it's not new to your aesthetic, and I don't know if you would agree with me, but it feels to me like the lyrics, or rather the vocals, are low in the mix. I know you, I think in in your expression and in the in the trajectory of whatever shoe gaze or ambient music is the vocal uh, whether, someone can be a fantastic singer and in some musical realms that vocal would be high in the mix but in, i yeah. think in your expression the vocal is a texture it's as much of a texture as the other sounds uh that are manipulated and processed so i understand that part do you feel like the vocals are even lower than usual for you? Or, um are really really a texture as much as they are? Cuz I read the lyrics off the page and I'm like, "Holy shit." But then when I listen, I don't hear the articulation as much. It's a feeling. Uh <laughs> does that resonate with you? I don't mean to be insulting, but does that resonate with you? No. What what song do you think that is? Do you know? Do you, off, top of your head? I feel like it's true of you, it's a good point you raise cuz some are brighter than others. Uh higher in the mix than others. Ca- yeah.
2: Because there's a, there's a few songs that I recorded and wrote, and I was like, this is perfect. This is exactly it. And then there was a couple tracks where we recorded the vocals. We improvised. Oh, okay. Uh, my, my friend my friend Andrew McLeod, a sunsetter, they sang on A, a Language Disappears and Gagaji. Yeah. And um, both of those, I was just like, Andrew, what are you even saying or singing about? and he never had an, an explanation i see
1: that's not even necessarily you then okay
2: no no, no it isn't and uh, i do backup singing and, and do the higher parts but i was just like dude what are you even saying <laughs> so i'm singing some different than him but it's just the same melody mm. and it's really hard because now i'm learning the song and i'm like what are we even singing now? okay but yeah for me the title of a song is just almost just as important and meaningful. Yeah. So when I la- named it, a language disappears, I was like that's what it, it the song is about to me. But the lyrics I don't even know. Well, I mean,
1: then me. the lyrics reflect the title because you don't really know what's being said. Wow, I never thought about that. That's
2: that's what I'm going to start telling people. Now.
1: <laughs> I know that <laughs> it's probably not your intention when you talk about uh the erasure, the cultural erasure that you and your you know, your people have experienced, but it probably works in that context to have kind of two different lyrical expressions happening at once and not really cohering in a sense like
2: that's interesting wow language disappears and it's like you don't even know what language it is being spoken or sung wow
1: well, I'm glad we had this chat. I think I've uh, illuminated yeah. your own record for you. Uh, that's what I'm yeah, here for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All this to say, so it's a really beautiful album, and it's hitting me in, no pun intended, uh, in terms of your last record. It hits me in waves. Like I get meaning from it each time I listen to it. It's one of those wow. things where I think you have to dig, dig deep. And like I say, I'm in the fortunate position to have lyrics sent to me, so that gives me a whole other... Um, perspective um, we've yeah. talked about some specific things but to wrap up is there an overarching thing you'd want to say about where you felt you were coming from uh, in terms of the lyrics you composed uh, for this record do you sense now as it's getting ready to be released that you were on a particular trip when you wrote these this batch of songs
2: I think these uh, some of these songs were taken from about 10 years ago and mm. some of them brand new and then some of them somewhat new and they were all drawing from different times of my life but when I listened to them together I felt like because they were still just coming from me the same but different version of me it all made sense and I just liked that that idea of writing an album because even though I did write them some of them a while ago reworking on them with the mindset that I have now was just like really interesting um Mm. way to write this album because like when i was 18 i'm totally different than i am now but somehow it still made sense yeah and i just hope that music always will be like that for me i just i get scared when things and music don't work out because i'm just so lucky or something i don't know not that i'm like super successful or anything. i just mean like I feel like I just always lucked out with writing a song. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I'm like, that song I wrote years ago, somehow it made sense on this record. Great. Something about that music that I just really love that I hope never ends.
1: I appreciate that. And when you say luck, I mean, in our previous conversations, you have conveyed a certain humility and like stuff just kind of happens. Someone plays your song on the radio and you're like, what? Like, I remember you telling me that story that someone played your song on like the college radio station and you couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. and that's, that's a huge thing to have something you put out there, uh, be recognized and have it resonate enough with someone that they decide to put it on the airwaves. So, and here we are now, like, you know, I, You've got someone from Sonic Youth on your record. You've got Owen Pallett working with you. Like oh gosh, it's not all luck. Yeah, so I'll tell beautiful. you that. You're you're on to something yeah. here. So I appreciate that. Daniel, what's coming up next for you and for Zoom and your other projects? Uh is there anything that you can share with us about uh forthcoming releases or new songs you're working on, any other projects that you want to or touring, anything you want to share right now?
2: What do I got on the go? <laughs> just been, yeah, I gotta finish a lot of projects just now, but i'm just about to start recording like my next record oh there you go because you know like this newest one was recorded in 2020 and it was basically done by 2021 it was just a matter of waiting for owen pallet and then mark lawson to mix it and that took most majority of the time 80 yeah. percent like i would say 60 percent of the time was waiting for those folks so in that time i had a lot of uh Spare time to write and record, and I've just accumulated a lot of songs. And now I'm getting ready to just kind of like find the best ones and send them to Lee and my friend at Joe Pass and maybe do a record with them and just see what I can do.
1: That's awesome, that's great. I, I, I'm just happy to hear that you're already on to the next thing. Uh, yeah,
2: always, you know, you just. Uh, this is like what we were going back to talking about in the beginning it's like once you're in the cycle it's like it's hard to like see out of it you know i was i was listening to an interview with beck and he was like he's a god forbid i take three years off and everybody forgets who i am and i'm and i'm like oh god right like that's not true like especially nowadays with we talk about fast fashion but now it's like fast consciousness or something where just everything is sped up so it's just like yeah. trends are in and out and it's just like if you're not in it you, you you lose it or something that's the fear that capitalism puts in you but yeah i would i hope that that's not true
1: that's weird I, I deleted it but i had a tweet going where like i don't understand you make one podcast and then you just have to make another one right away it's just a never-ending <laughs> yeah. like a cycle like yeah. every week i gotta do this it's kind of like Anyway, I I delete it because I'm like ah, I sound like I'm whining about a thing that I made. Like I made. It's weird, right? We create. We have these compulsions and we create the cycles we're on. And yeah. like sometimes you're not aware of that. Like, oh, I can actually stop this. When you're like, well, right. you're pulling your hair out, and you're like, but I made. I invented this. And I gotta yeah, go through this ends, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It begins with you and it ends with you. Yeah. You know. But it feels <laughs> it feels external. Like I feel like ah, well, my my listeners are expecting it. The community of artists i support are expecting it but it does totally. every once in a while i'm like i just need a break and i don't no, give no. myself one it's weird
2: <laughs> no i know and i really failed that my failed myself with that not taking a break and my health got like really really bad and i'm just recovering Oh man! like i'm just now doing interviews and stuff because my eyeballs were swollen and there was like pus coming out of them because i got this infection and oh no Yeah, it was bad. And, uh, and and my, and my doctor says that something like that only happens when your immune system is so low. Yeah. And stress related too. Yeah, stress related. And I was at the Junos and that was like so crazy. and my my immune system is just so shocked. Oh, that I, just I didn't mean to fell laugh. Fell apart. yeah No. <laughs> Give it to the Junos to catch some kind of virus that just like attacks my eyeballs. Everyone who
1: went to the Junos got back and was like, I don't feel so good. And I was like, well, I'm glad I didn't go. I was in my hometown here in Edmonton, and I was like, nah. That's right. I only went to like, that's I had true. to do a couple of things for work. But anyway, that's a digression. I, I hope you're doing better. It sounds like you are. And I so appreciate uh, this time, Daniel. If people want to learn more about zune and follow your exploits using their telephones and computers. Where would you like to sort of send them online? I would
2: say follow me on Instagram. That's at Zoon and Ombigaze is other project. So that's O M B I I G I Z I. Yeah, and yeah, just look up those two names and. You get all the music that we're putting up.
1: I'll link to those things in the uh, write-up for this pod as well so people can click on those things and follow Daniel and uh, all his work. Uh, Daniel, if we can go out on a song from this new record, yeah. I wonder if you can pick one for us and tell us why you chose it. Okay, I would say I'll go with Dodem. Dodem. Now, why did that come to mind?
2: Dotem because... Um it was a song that I wrote on the reservation about maybe like eight years ago when I was really going through a lot and my dad and I had reconnected and I was writing this song. I was, I was listening to a lot of singer songwriter stuff like Gordon Lightfoot or something like that with my uncle. Hmm. And I really wanted to just like make this singer songwriter song style, um, song. And, um, I wrote that one day and my uncle Matt was immediately like, Danny, that's that's a good song. You got <laughs> to you nice. got to keep that for yourself. Yeah, he's like you got to keep that for yourself. Because I kept I went through this phase where I was writing songs for people, not that anyone wanted any of them, but I was just like I want to be a songwriter. And um but that was the one that he told me to keep for myself and uh I see. And so uh so then I immediately gave it to someone after that. And then <laughs> got the rights back for it maybe like 3 years ago or something like that. My manager oh. like did some did some digging and he found out that the contract that i was working wasn't actually like good or something so we just spoke to the band and they were like yeah you can have it so we got the rights back and then i was like i'm re-recording it and then i
1: did now this is an elemental song uh there are references to the ocean uh you also do a thing that i'm a fan of and i alluded to earlier where you you kind of pick a phrase and repeat it but vary it uh, so when people mm-hmm. listen to this, you'll hear even if I wasn't in sight, even if I wasn't wrong, even if I couldn't write, even if I wasn't true, even if I came through for you. So you've kind of settled on something there, uh, to mm-hmm. get the, the, the narrative going, but you vary it. I'm on to you, Daniel. You have these really cool, <laughs> these nice, cool tricks that I like. Uh, and I notice them all the time. So I just appreciate that you know your core. <laughs> And you you still they it's I'm just saying, I hope that doesn't come across the wrong way. I think it's no, f- I, love I it. think it's fascinating that you're able to do so much again, I think I may have said this to you before. It reminds me kind of like of Iggy Pop in the Stooges, where he would just say a couple of things and it's in your head for the rest of your life. Like the the same so words dope. just over and over again and you're just like, Yeah, that's a great song. That's not it doesn't have <laughs> to always be Gordon Lightfoot and Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald where it's just like a billion things. No offense <laughs> right. to, oh to Gordon gosh. but you know what I'm saying? So I just want to commend you on that. And without further ado, thank let's, you. let's play this new song, uh, Dotum by, uh, Zune. Uh, Daniel, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I hope you enjoyed this thank and you. I hope we speak again sometime and best luck in the future.
2: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you once again, Daniel Monkman of Zoom, for appearing on this, the uh, 776th episode of Creative Control, which, for those of you who don't know, is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available just about wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you can't locate an episode that you're looking for, you've heard about it, somebody's told you about one, and it's from a long time ago or something, and you can't find it. Or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, Please visit vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook, uh, the cockroach of social media platforms. Or you can follow the show on Twitter. I don't know if it's the cockroach. At vish creative. Or you can follow me directly on Twitter and Instagram at vishkana. Also, this is a donor driven podcast, ostensibly, and I'm fine with that. Although, sometimes I feel like, oh, uh, I don't even know what that those sounds mean. I'll just carry on with my spiel. This is a donor-driven podcast, and if you feel compelled to contribute to the show's uh, work with your financial uh, contributions, you can at patreon.com slash creativecontrol. Uh, that's where you can make a flexible monthly donation to support me and the show. Uh, $6 USD American or more grants you access to exclusive content. You get the episodes earlier than everybody else. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t shirt at that $6 or more level, uh, you can do all that. Just got to message me on Patreon. By the way, you don't, if you can't do $6, uh, people do all sorts of things. They do uh, less than $6, whatever amount they want. They do a lot more, some of them, which is very kind. I appreciate it all. Uh, whatever you can do, just uh, head over to patreon.com slash creative control and make a decision yourself. Thank you so much for your support. Speaking of support, thanks again to the wonderful Alberta record retailer, Blackbird Music, which has physical locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta. And you can learn more about those. And you can also order things from their website at blackbird.ca. also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. If you want to learn more about any of those places check out the show notes there's some links and you can click on things and figure that stuff out thanks as always to my friend jim guthrie he lends me some music of his uh for the show you can learn more about jim at jimguthrie.org always up to something that jim plotting scheming making music for everyone it's nice and finally thank you so much for listening to this episode with daniel i hope you enjoyed our conversation and uh if you're unfamiliar with Zune. Uh, I hope you will check them out. And if you are very familiar with Zune, I hope this was insightful in some way. Otherwise, thank you for subscribing to this podcast or following it and telling your friends all about it, spreading the word. But creative control, it means a lot. This is the 10th year of the show. Still going somehow. So thank you. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now.